Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi folks, I hope you've all had a splendid week so far. And welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where we are looking at Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull from 2008. In terms of the format of the podcast, we'll start with a little background information, then a look at the historical accuracy, and finally, I shall review the film. Right, the years may have passed and the hair on your head may be getting greyer, but this does not mean you're about to slow down. You are currently in an old tomb, creeping through the corridors and manoeuvring around traps. Finally, you arrive at a room with several dead bodies, mummified in an otherworldly way. You reach behind one of these and discover a skull made of pure crystal. You can feel the energy coming off of it and all of the metal objects in the room seem attracted to it. Little do you know that this discovery will take you to the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Alright, we have now arrived at the background information section. To begin with, due to the new health and safety regulations, originally Indiana Jones' whip in this film was supposed to be CGI. However, Harrison Ford was adamant that he get to use the real thing. In fact, during the filming and writing, Harrison Ford did have his fair amount of input, as he also insisted on there being far more old jokes in the script and he refused to dye his hair. His reason for doing this was because he did not believe that Indiana Jones' youth held his appeal. Instead, he saw people being drawn to Indiana Jones' imagination and resourcefulness. Between The Last Crusade and the release of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Harrison Ford kept himself in such good shape 
that his suit measurements were identical. In all honesty, I wish I had this commitment. I mean, regardless of what you think of the film, it is hard not to be impressed by this, as Harrison Ford has kept himself in phenomenal shape. In terms of the cast, as I'm sure will be shocking to all who are listening, Harrison Ford plays Indiana Jones. Karen Allen returns as Marion. Shia LaBeouf plays Mutt Williams. Kate Blanchett plays one of the main villains, Irina Spalko. And John Hurt plays Harold Oxley. So I think it's fair to say that we are dealing with something of an A-list cast here. Okay, we have now arrived at the historical accuracy section. So here I'm just going to go over what the film does well and poorly. And, well, as this is a non-Egyptology-based film, the same old disclaimer is needed here. I am an Egyptologist. This film is not based around Egyptology. However, I have put a lot of effort into this section. And, in all honesty, a lot of the points here are actually based around archaeology instead which, unsurprisingly, I do know something about. Okay, so let's get on with it. During one scene where Indiana Jones is teaching a lecture, he talks about Scara Bray, which is a site on an island at the very top of Scotland. This is a real location, and in fact, it is the best preserved Neolithic site in Western Europe, and it's of huge archaeological importance. Originally, this was a village next to a freshwater lock, and even now the houses are easy to see. They were built into the side of a hill and were constructed out of stone slabs. And in fact, even some of the original items have been reconstructed. For instance, many of the houses have fire hubs, and even some dressers have been discovered. Indiana Jones goes on to claim that the site was occupied between 3100 BCE and 2500 BCE. And then he goes on to say that no one knows why the inhabitants left, as the ground was still very fertile. This is more or less correct. When we go this far back, of course, it's hard to have exact dates. But radiocarbon dating of the charcoal and other organic materials at the site place the earliest phase of the village at between 3200 and 3100 BCE. And yes, the village was abandoned by 2500 BCE. Further, it is true that no one entirely knows why. After all, this far back in the UK, there were hardly written records. Some have argued that a huge sandstorm could have led to people evacuating the village, though realistically it seems more likely that the abandonment was a far more gradual process. There is some evidence that the climate around 2500 BCE may have become much colder and wetter. Huge joke about Scotland's weather here. But the point is, this could have led to the settlement's abandonment. So basically put, what Indiana Jones is saying here is pretty good, which weirdly seems to be a theme with the lecture scenes in the Indiana Jones series. Slightly later, Indiana Jones meets Mutt Williams, and they talk about a crystal skull called the Mitchell Hedges skull. The Mitchell Hedges skull is a real artefact which supposedly was found by Anna Mitchell Hedges in 1924. Anna claimed that she found the skull underneath a collapsed altar in Levanton. 
However, there is no evidence for this, and recently found letters suggest that the skull actually was purchased by her adopted father, F.A. Mitchell Hedges, in 1943. The sellers of this skull claimed that it was thousands of years old, but modern examinations prove that the skull came from the post-Columbian era, and in fact, it is even possible to see modern tool markings on it. Unfortunately, as interesting as crystal skulls are, there have been none discovered that have been proven to be pre-Columbian, with most seemingly being made in the 18 and 1900s. In fact, of all of the crystal skulls currently in museums around the world, none of them have ever been found in a recorded excavation. That speaks volumes if you ask me. I will admit, this is very disappointing as it would be fascinating if they were created by an ancient culture. But it seems highly unlikely that this is the case and it is almost certain that crystal skulls are a hoax. A little later, Indiana Jones talks about Akator. He claims that this is a lost city in the Amazon which also goes by the name of El Dorado. This is incorrect. Akator and El Dorado are different mythical cities. Akator was a mythical underground city somewhere between Brazil, Peru and Bolivia. Meanwhile, the far more famous El Dorado is a city that is said to be made of pure solid gold. In this scene, Indiana Jones talks about the Uga tribe. Although there have been some claims that this tribe were real, it's more likely that they were the invention of a man named Tutankanara in the 1970s, who was also the man who invented Akator. He claimed to be a descendant of the tribe and said that they were chosen by the gods to be record keepers and were given special powers. He later added to his narrative that the tribe was given magical stones that allowed them to see the position of celestial bodies. It is likely that Tatunkanara created this story as he was a tour guide and it led to more profitability. However, in the 1980s he started taking people to this supposed city and many of the people never made it back alive. Further, this led to a few archaeologists heading into the Amazon in search of the city also, three of whom never made it back alive either. So basically put, this is a very interesting story, but it did also lead to much tragedy. Moving on, one part of this film that did make me chuckle is when Mutt asks Indiana Jones if he is some kind of tomb robber. Indiana Jones then disputes this and says that he is a tenured professor. I mean, you may be a professor, Indiana Jones, but you are still most certainly a tomb robber. And if you want to know why I think this, just listen to the last three episodes I've done on Indiana Jones. I would talk about it more here, but ultimately I feel I've covered the subject pretty well. At one point in the film, Mutt drives into the library of the university with Indiana Jones on the back of the motorbike. They end up crashing into some tables, and then a student starts asking Indiana Jones questions about the normative cultural model. Indiana Jones tells him to forget about this and instead look into diffusionism. First things first, normative cultural model is an archaeological and historical concept which claims that a society is made up of shared norms and ideas. These norms can then be seen in the material culture of the society. So for instance, if you are digging on an archaeological site, this means that all of the pottery you find, for example, would look very similar, as would things such as burials. This is pretty undeniable, to be honest with you. 
Although it can be argued that some people go against such social norms, it is also a little hard to go against social norms if they don't exist in the first place. However, one of the big arguments against normative cultural model is that it doesn't explain why norms come around and instead just states that they do. Therefore, although it's quite good for actually collecting data, it's not very good for analysing it. Conversely, diffusionism is the idea that norms, ideas and values spread throughout societies and it tries to explain how that happens. For example, spatial diffusionism would argue that ideas start at a main hub such as a city and then it spreads out into the surrounding area. This theory does have some merit, but it also has its problems as it's not always the case. For instance, some towns and villages may reject new ideas or there may even be physical barriers between cities and towns and villages. Another idea is that new norms spread in a more hierarchical way whereby new ideas start in multiple cities and then filter down over time to towns and then villages. One problem with this, however, is that new ideas sometimes start in towns and villages, especially when you consider contact between different societies, as they are not necessarily going to go to the big cities first. Basically put, although diffusionism has its merits, it needs to be remembered that there are several different branches of it, and also that it is not the only archaeological theory. In fact, relying solely on diffusionism can actually be quite dangerous. This is what is known as hyperdiffusionism, and this can lead to quite racist ways of thinking. For instance, in the 1890s, American academics did not believe that Native Americans would have the knowledge to build burial mounds. And so they argued that either a lost tribe of Israel, Phoenicians, or the Norse must have built them instead. Or an example which is more relevant to this podcast would be the views of Flinders Petrie. By many, he is considered to be one of the best Egyptologists ever, and there is no doubt that he was very influential. After all, his ideas on sequence dating are still used to this very day. However, he also believed that there was no way the native Egyptians could have the ability to produce such a sophisticated culture and buildings. Instead, he believed that in pre-dynastic times, Mesopotamia invaded and established the first dynasty. He believed this because he thought that people from the north were generally, naturally better and more intelligent. Basically put, he was pro-eugenics. It's sad considering how influential he was, but ultimately... People are made up of many different sides, and that side of him was incredibly horrible and dark. Moving on to something that's a little less controversial. At one point, Indiana Jones and Mutt go into a tomb, and Indiana Jones cuts some strangely alien bandages from a corpse. The corpse underneath is perfectly preserved for a few seconds, and then the face disintegrates. Indiana Jones claims that this happened because the corpse had been starved of oxygen for 500 years, and now Air did not agree with it. There is some logic to this, although it would not happen how it did in the film. So, if a corpse is not exposed to air for hundreds of years, it will naturally dry out as the lack of oxygen and moisture mean that bacteria is unable to grow. However, if the body is then suddenly exposed to air, it can cause a rapid release of bacteria and fungi that starts to break down the tissues and organs of the corpse. 
This can lead to accelerated decay and petrification. However, as this is going on, the bacteria and fungi would consume the organic matter, which releases gas such as nitrogen and methane. This would likely lead to the body bloating and oozing liquid. However, it is unlikely that this would happen in a matter of seconds as it does in the film, and it would more likely take days or weeks to occur. Overall, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is a mixed bag when it comes to historical accuracy. Of course, he remains a terrible archaeologist. However, what he says in the classroom about Scarabray is pretty good. Also, his conversation about normative cultural model and diffusionism is also good and appropriate for the time period. However, crystal skulls are unfortunately modern inventions, and also, not only was Indiana Jones incorrect about Akator and El Dorado being the same place, but Akator is most certainly not a real location. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okie dokie, we have now arrived at the review section. So here I'm just going to talk about what I like and dislike in the film, and then rate it out of 10. So to begin with, this film starts with Indiana Jones arriving at the warehouse from the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. As this is set in the Cold War, the Russians want him to lead them to a particular artefact that they believe could help their cause. To do this, he uses a metallic powder from bullets to lead the way to the item as it is highly magnetised. I will say, this was a really good introduction. I remember eagerly going to the cinema to see this film. I was genuinely worried because I wasn't sure if the film would be able to capture that same magic of the original trilogy. But this scene very much put my mind at rest. Whether it be the first time you see Harrison Ford put on the hat, or the first time you hear that iconic music, or that moment that Indiana Jones manages to break away from the Russians and we have our first action sequence. All of these events left goosebumps on my arms and they reassured me that everyone involved was more than capable of making me feel that same way I had for the other Indiana Jones installments. Further, it is also a very effective way of introducing the new villain, Dr. Arena Spalko, played excellently by Kate Blanchett. Regardless of whether I think this is a good or bad film, the joy I got from this scene cannot be taken away. And also, I have heard a few people state that they felt Harrison Ford was too old for this film. Nonsense. 
I thought he was great. Further, focusing on the Cold War and the conflict between America and Russia was a really smart move. It was a natural progression, both in terms of world history and because it fits with Indiana Jones' character so well. And also, just generally, I liked the aesthetic of the 1950s. It was just enough to make this instalment seem a little different to the others, and it also allowed for a few little references and easter eggs here and there. For instance, I enjoyed that Mutt was a greaser, and that he openly had a problem with socks. This kind of almost made me think about Grease for a second, or maybe even Rebel Without a Cause. Two really good films. In general, when it comes to this film, I get why people have an issue with Shia LaBeouf as Mutt. I do agree that he would have been a terrible replacement for Harrison Ford, and the fact that they even hinted at it was an insult. But take that out of the equation, and take that awful CGI monkey swinging scene out, and he was a perfectly fine character. Not the best in the film by any means, but I did not find he detracted from my enjoyment of it. For me, the biggest surprise in this film was the return of Marion. I remember sitting in the cinema when she first got revealed, a huge smile spreading across my face. In my opinion, although I do not want to say she's the best Indiana Jones sidekick, as you also have people like Salah and Short Round, she is definitely in the running and I would choose differently on different days and depending on my mood. Further, I do feel that the romance story between Indiana Jones and Marion in this particular film was better than any that preceded it. For me, my least favourite romance was Willy. Then Elsa Snyder in The Last Crusade, though I suppose that one had a different end goal to romance. Then it's Marion in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and finally Marion in this one. I don't want to give too much away here in case there's someone listening who has not seen the film, but for me, the ending of their story here was incredibly satisfying, even if it was slightly marred by Mutt picking up the hat at the end. Grrr, stay away, Mutt. I also feel it's undeniable that love or hate this film, there were some phenomenal scenes. For instance, the whole chase scene where Indiana Jones and Mutt were on the motorbike and end up riding through the university library is excellent. And once again, it is a scene that has a few easter eggs that really just add to the scene and the film as a whole. For instance, it was a nice touch that they had a statue of Marcus outside the university. Marcus was always such a fantastic character, and Denham Elliott, who played the part, truly did leave us too soon. I just felt that it was a very appropriate tribute to him as a person and also for his part in this franchise. Further, later in the film, as already said, despite not swinging through the trees with CGI monkeys, the car chase scene through the jungle towards the end of the film was, for the most part, excellent. And not just because of the chase alone, but also because of the interactions between the characters, as we have a changing relationship between Mutt and Indiana Jones, and also the start of the rekindling of the flame between Indiana Jones and Marion. Truly great stuff. And then all of this leads to the big man fight where Indiana Jones fights one of the Russian officers amongst a load of cannibalistic ants. This is ludicrous and I love it. Now unfortunately, we must move on to the parts of this film I was not so keen about. I have showered this film with praise and honours, and now I must rip it down. First things first, the famous scene which even led to a new phrase. 
nuking the fridge. Now look, I will admit, in the past, I have been very forgiving of Indiana Jones films and stupid scenes that don't make sense if you think about them for even a second. I'm looking at you, Temple of Doom, when they jump out of a plane in a rubber dinghy. My general rule is that if it becomes iconic, then it's quite a lot of fun, even if it is nonsense. However, my believability can only stretch so far. Therefore, although it is undeniable that the nuking the fridge scene is iconic, and will forever be attached to this film, it is a little too far-fetched for me to truly appreciate. I also just feel that they had the perfect over-the-top scene already for this film, and no one ever even remembers it. Towards the end of the film, Indiana Jones, Marion, Oxley and Mutt are in a car boat, and they fall down three massive waterfalls and somehow survive. I honestly feel that this scene would be iconically linked to this film if it was not for the nuking the fridge scene, and I would probably be sitting here right now talking about how much I loved it. But as it is, I am going to guess that half of the listeners right now have no idea which scene I'm even talking about, and honestly, I think this speaks volumes. Don't get me wrong, I am certainly not trying to put any of you fine folks down here, but I just feel that the waterfall scene was massively overshadowed by a really bad over-the-top sequence. I will also say, although both during this recent watch-through and when I saw it in the cinema, I remember having a huge smile on my face for the first half, and that, that's even taking into account the, the fridge scene. That was bad, don't get me wrong, but it didn't destroy my enjoyment of the film. But unfortunately, I will say I enjoyed the second half of the film far less. For me, the first half was either an 8 or 9 out of 10, but the second half is closer to 5 or 6, and it is only dragged up that far by the presence of Marion. And to be honest, this is down to one simple fact, and it is one that has divided audiences since this film came out. Aliens. I will say, before I continue, I do not begrudge anyone who likes the theme of this film, Ultimately, I believe it is better to like things than hate them, and I would never take that away from anyone. I get that the first three Indiana Jones films were supposed to be based on low-budget adventure films from the 30s and 40s, and I also get that this film was supposed to be based off of the sci-fi films of the 50s and 60s. I even think that this transition is incredibly logical in some ways. It's just not for me. Aliens in general have always been a hard sell for me, and this goes quadruply when they're introduced partway through a film. In fact, the only film I have felt genuinely angry after watching was the film Knowing with Nicolas Cage. For those who have not seen this, I will say, spoiler beforehand, but basically they find an old document which has future events written on it and the film is set out in a way that looks as if it's going to have an ingenious twist. Think, you know, The Others, or The Sixth Sense, or Fight Club. You then get to the last five minutes of this film. You are leaning forward in your seat, expecting to have your mind blown, only to be told that aliens did it. I was genuinely fuming after this reveal. I had just wasted two hours of my life. I will not say that this is the only film that has angered me because my friends will quickly disprove me on that, though I will say I've mellowed a lot with age, but even now thinking about it, it just feels like such a wasted potential of a good film. In terms of The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, my feelings are not quite so strong, but I still dislike the reveal of Aliens. 
I generally find that if aliens are in a film, they need to be there from the outset, or at least it cannot be a big reveal. Basically, I prefer Star Wars to knowing. Though, in fairness, how many people do you think actually prefer knowing to Star Wars? That person, I know it's opinion-based, but that person is wrong. Moving forward a little bit, I will say, although I enjoyed the ending of Indiana Jones and Marion's story here, I didn't like the ending of the adventure. And, well, first of all, I will say, spoiler again, I'm going to be talking about the end of the film, so of course there's spoilers. But basically, a giant UFO rises into the sky and flies away, as John Hurt says in the most cliched way possible, they are not going to space. They are going to the space between spaces. Ugh. Don't get me wrong, John Hurt is an absolute legend, and this wasn't his fault, but this ending was just awful. With all the other Indiana Jones films, the ending comes along, and I'm usually filled with a sense of satisfaction. This one just made me roll my eyes. In terms of the reviews for this film, they were mostly pretty good, to be honest. It has a 77% by critics on Rotten Tomatoes, though admittedly only 53% audience score, and it has a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb. To me, this suggests that, despite some loud protractors, this film does have its fan base. For myself, I weave back and forward on this film. I really do feel that Harrison Ford was excellent in general, and I believe the cast was really good. I'm also not in the habit of making that joke, you know, there's only three Indiana Jones films, because I do feel this film has a similar feel to the others, and it does seem that at least Harrison Ford really wanted it to succeed, and he put his passion into it. But I also cannot overlook this film's flaws. The nuke scene was just too stupid for me, and I did not like the addition of Aliens. For me, I waver a lot on what to give this film. Very often it falls somewhere between 5 and 7 out of 10. So, I think I'm going to give this one a 6 out of 10. I do like it, but I think it's also next to three films that, in my opinion, are either perfect or near perfect. I mean, the lowest score I gave any of them was 9 out of 10. As a film... Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is far from perfect, but it's enjoyable enough. As an Indiana Jones film, however, although it does occasionally show the same magic, it is unfortunately a little bit disappointing. Thank you very much for listening. I really hope you've enjoyed the episode, and if you have, why not consider liking, subscribing, leaving a comment, it all really helps. And join me Monday where we shall be looking at Moon Knight Episode 3. And then join me on Thursday where for the first time ever I shall be reviewing a film currently in the cinema. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So looking forward to that one. I don't care what the reviews say. I hope you all have an excellent rest of your weeks and see you then.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.